Welcome to the podcast of Hope Community Church. Hope exists to be a church where people can experience the transformative power of the gospel in the context of grace-centered community. We strive to be real people looking to the real Jesus for real change that can have redemptive impact among individuals, local communities, our city, and the world. For more information, visit hopecommunity.com. We've been journeying our way through the Gospel of Mark, and uh, today we find uh, the disciples uh, back in a boat in some trouble. Um, So we're going to look at a passage from Mark chapter 6. You can find it printed in your bulletin, Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 52. Uh, I'll read it for us, and then we'll, we'll pray and dive into it. So Mark 6, starting in verse 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for, all, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, uh, we need to hear those words that we uh, just sang, that we don't have to be afraid, uh, that we have nothing to fear because of the truth of who you are and uh, how you feel about us. And uh, so I simply pray this morning that uh, as we now look at this uh, passage together and study it, uh, that you would show us um, that that's true. Show us freshly uh, again who you are and how you do feel about us. Show us how much you love us how, um, and how much we can trust you. And I uh, pray that you'd help us now. Give us your spirit as we jump into it. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, have you ever seen someone do something that caused you to do some rethinking? Uh, one of the summers for me early in college, one of my good friends to, came to hang out with us for a few days at the lake. This is a friend that I uh, had been uh, basketball teammates with in high school, and we were now at different colleges. And he was and is a really big guy, six foot, 10 inches tall, uh, big and strong guy. I already knew he was a, a, a great athlete um, from playing basketball with him. I knew he could run and, and jump, that he was very coordinated. Um, But it went to a whole different level for me. Uh, That trip when I saw my friend go to the trunk of his car, pull out a unicycle and begin to ride it. And uh, he did not simply take the unicycle to the road and start to just ride it around there, but he took it to a flight of steps, brick steps, and started to jump down the steps onto the brick patio um, 
that's at the lake house. He was doing jumps with it. He was riding it all over the place. And as I saw him do this, I started to do some rethinking, uh, in particular, particular about um, rethinking my definition of what an athlete was and uh, what it means to be a great one and how far I was from that in reality, a lot further than I thought. Uh, because what I was watching my friend doing was absolutely next level. And not surprisingly, this athleticism translated as I would go on to watch my friend play for almost a decade in the NBA. But I bring that up this morning because as we come to this passage today, Jesus' friends get to see him do something that causes them to do a good bit of rethinking. Because after Jesus sends them in a boat to cross to the other side of the sea, and he sees, and sees them struggling in the wind, he comes to help them by walking to them on the water. And for years, scholars who don't believe in the supernatural have tried to explain this away, either saying, well, maybe all the disciples had uh, like a group hallucination, or maybe Jesus was walking on a sandbar that nobody could see. But the way Mark presents it to us is Jesus really does this. He really walks to these guys on the water. And as he does, Jesus is intentionally trying to show his disciples who he is. Like he's been doing since he called them to follow him, he's trying to show them his identity. In other words, Jesus wants to show them his glory. The glory of who he is as the one true king. The glory they've been getting glimpses of. The glory they should have just seen in the feeding of the 5,000. Because Jesus knows more than anything else, this is what his disciples need. No matter what's going on in their life, no matter what kind of circumstances they find themselves in, this is what they need most. To see his glory, to have an encounter with it, and and to live out of it. And as Jesus' disciples today, that's what you and I need too. And so this morning, we're going to look at this story and we're going to watch Jesus show us his glory through this miracle, through this story, in hopes that we too can do some rethinking about who he is and what he means for our life. And so as we watch Jesus show us his glory this morning, we're going to look at three things. First, we're going to look at the situation, so when Jesus reveals his glory to us. Second, we're going to look at the revelation. What does Jesus reveal to us when he shows us his glory? And then finally, the application. So how does Jesus invite us to respond in light of that? So the situation, the revelation, and then the application. So first, the situation, when Jesus reveals his glory. So when does Jesus reveal his glory? Well, starting in verse 45, our passage again begins this way. It says, immediately... He made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And we don't know exactly why, but the wording tells us Jesus had to force the disciples to get into the boat and go across the sea. And remember, they just, feed, they just finished feeding this huge crowd of people, so it's likely they've gotten caught up in the excitement of their ministry success and and possibly the the political Messiah fever that uh, John tells us is going on there in his version of the story, and and they don't want to leave. But either way, 
Jesus makes them go while he goes up to a nearby mountain to pray, probably to to recenter after all this and, and to stay connected to his father and the mission that he sent him to go on. But this is the situation that leads Jesus to walk out to them on the water. So verse 47 tells us, when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Again, to reference John's version of the story, he tells us that they're three or four miles out at this point when, they, when Jesus sees them. Verse 48 in our passage says they were making headway painfully. This can mean that they were straining, even that they were tormented as they're out here trying to row against the wind. So they're making this trip. Jesus told them to go on, that he made them go on, and they're exhausted. They're hurting They're frustrated, the wind is too strong, they're struggling and they're having a very hard time. And yet, this is when Jesus comes to show them his glory. And now before we move on and and look at exactly what the glory is Jesus shows them, let's take a minute to notice and name an important principle here. And it's this, that the situation or the context where Jesus, Jesus often meets us to show us more about his glory is when we're struggling. That's what we see here. That's what Jesus just did with the feeding of the 5,000 when the disciples came to him with a big problem. They're like, all we have to feed this big crowd are five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus is like, okay, now, now you can see the glory of who I am. And, And sure, we can learn a lot about Jesus at any time. He can reveal himself to us whenever he wants in any season of life or through any circumstance, but often this is where he shows us who he is in the deepest, most profound ways, precisely when we're at the end of ourselves, when we're in need, when we're frustrated and exhausted and don't know what to do, when we're hurting, when we're in pain. And don't you know this from your own experience? I mean, I'm not, I'm not that old. I haven't been a pastor that long, so I can't play the, the really experienced ministry person card with a lot of authority, but I'm going to play it anyway and say, I've never had a conversation with one of you who told me, you know when I learned the most about Jesus? You know when he, he showed me the most about who he is? When everything was going awesome. Right? But over and over, even hearing more of your stories this week, what I hear is Jesus met me in the struggle. He met me in the valley, in the hard times. That's where he showed me more about who he is like no other time in my life. That's where I learned the most about his love, about his power, about his compassion, about his ability to care for me. I know that's certainly true for me as I think about my story. That's so much of what I've experienced. Even lately, as we continue to make headway painfully, rowing into the wind, trying to get things figured out with... with, our daughter Sophia, Jesus has been showing me new things about him in this season, or at least he's been inviting me to experience things about him in a real way that I've maybe just known in my head up to this point. And the point is not, and what I don't want you to hear me saying is, so don't worry about it. Don't struggle in the hard times. Cheer up. Jesus is just going to show you who he is. It'll be great. No, it's, it's still hard. It's always hard. But if you, if you are here now or when you are here later, 
I hope this can give you some comfort, some hope that Jesus is going to meet you, that he's going to be praying for you, that he's going to see you, that he's going to come to you and actually reveal himself to you in a deeper way. And so this is the situation we see. Well, when Jesus actually does this, what does he show us? So let's look at the revelation. And there's a, a confusing detail at the end of verse 48, and I'm not sure if you caught this when I read the passage earlier, but to look at it again, verse 48 says, and he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And then here's the detail. He meant to pass by them. He meant to pass by them. He wanted to pass by them. He was about to pass by them, as other translations suggest. And what's going on with that? So Jesus sees his friends out here, tormented in the middle of the sea, so he starts walking on the water, but his plan is to pass by them? What's going on with that? Well, there's a, a theological term to describe times in the Bible when God shows himself and his glory in a physical form, and it's the term theophany. And in some of the most famous theophanies of the Old Testament, how God does this, how he reveals himself, is through passing by. So he passes by Moses in Exodus 33. He, when he hides him in the cleft of a rock, he passes by Elijah, the prophet, in 1 Kings 19, when he's struggling, and he's also up on a mountain to name a couple of examples. And of course, Jesus knows this connection. So he's doing this very self-consciously. He's planning to pass by them to give the disciples their own theophany to experience. But there's one Old Testament passage that brings us into the heart of what it is Jesus wants to reveal to them as he passes by and, and wants to show them his glory. And it's a passage in Job chapter 9. I'm sure a passage all of you have memorized already. But it also has this language of God walking on the sea, and it talks about God passing by. And the context is Job talking about the greatness of God. Here's what he says in Job 9, verse 5. He says, He who removes mountains, and they know it not, when he overturns them in his anger, who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble, who commands the sun and it does not rise, who seals up the stars, who alone stretched out the heavens, and trampled on the sea, walked on the sea, who made the bear and Orion, the Pleiades and the chambers of the south, who does great things beyond searching out and marvelous things beyond number. Then look what he says when he talks about God, this God that he's talking about, passing by. Verse 11, he says, Behold, he passes by me, and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. What is he saying? Job is saying there's such a big gap between this big, powerful God and human beings like me. He can move mountains. He can shake the earth. He can tell the sun when to come up and when to go down. He can walk on top of the water. He's so big and he's so great. He's so different that when he passes by me, I can't understand him. Which, what, which makes what Jesus does here so incredible. Because as he plans to pass by his friends as they're struggling in the boat, he's trying to show them this God that is so big, 
that you haven't been able to comprehend is now right here, passing by you. One scholar puts it this way. He says, when Jesus passes by the disciples on the lake, he does something differently from the revelation of God in the Old Testament. He intends to make the mysterious and enigmatic God of Job visible and palpable as it had not been and could not have been to previous generations. The God of Israel, majestic and awesome, but unknowable face to face, is now passing by believers in Jesus of Nazareth. So the glory Jesus is showing us as he plans to pass by is a glory of both terrifying power and loving presence. Of mega, out-of-this-world power in a gentle and lowly person. And you see both of these things show up in this, this story, in what happens. First, you see the disciples recognize the power, and they're terrified when they see Jesus. Verse 49 says, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. And listen, it's, it's a little hard to evaluate them too much either way, because Mark says this is the fourth watch of the night. That's between 3 and 6 a.m. I'm not sure how you are at those hours. Um, I'm a morning person, so I'm great by 5.30, 6. Once I've got my coffee, I'm up. Sometimes I even feel like I'm kind of at my peak at that point. But between 3 and 5, like that's not a good spot for me. Um, I, don't, I don't think, I don't act, I don't evaluate my life in a rational way uh, during those hours. And then especially if I'd had a full day with a huge crowd spending so much time with a lot of people and had been rowing hard into the wind for several hours. So you can imagine they're, they're deliriously tired, certainly not at their sharpest, but regardless, they see Jesus walking on the water and they recognize something terrifying and other about this power that's coming towards them. So much so that they forget about the wind and they forget about how exhausted they are from rowing and they're afraid. But then second, in the middle of their fears, they also recognize his presence. Because Jesus, he recognizes, he notices their fears. He, he sees that they're scared and he presses pause on his plan to pass by them. He's like, they're not going to connect these Old Testament dots at this point, maybe later. But right now he knows they need him to draw near, to come close, to speak words of comfort, to get into the boat with them. And that's what he does. Second half of verse 50 says, but immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. And the it is I that you see there is literally I am in the original language. It's the covenant name of God that he first gives to Moses. He first gave to Moses when he showed up to him in the burning bush. So Jesus says, take heart, I am. Don't be afraid. What we see is terrifying power and loving presence together in one person. And this is so practically important and helpful because it's really hard for us to hold these two truths about God in tension. Uh, for some of us, it's easier to connect to God's power his otherness, the ways that he's so much bigger and different than me. So you can have a healthy fear and respect of him. You can believe he's in control of what's going on, but you don't have much confidence that he loves you, 
that he wants to draw near and, and be present with you. But for others of us, it's easier to connect to God's presence, his personal love, but you don't have as big of a view of his power and greatness. So you might be confident in his love, but you're not so confident in his ability to actually do anything in your life. And whichever one of those that we connect with more, the problem is both lead us, when we're only connecting to one of them really, both lead us away from him, from trusting him, from depending on him, because if God's only power and he doesn't really care, well, I'm not going to go to him. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to depend on him in practical ways in my life. But if he's only love and he doesn't have much power, I'm not going to go to him either. And either way, we end up relying on ourselves. We may not say that, but the way we live and the fruit of our life shows that we're living a way of self-dependence. But the glory Jesus shows us here tells us you don't have to do that. You can go to him. You can depend on him because this is who our God is. He's both. He's perfect power and presence. He's big and he's good. He's a God who's able and he's a God who has compassion. But maybe someone's thinking, you know, Aaron, I could probably do this. I could probably believe this. Like if I was there, if I saw something like Jesus walking on the water towards me, something that showed me the power and presence of God in such an amazing way, if there, there was only an example that impacted me in my life in a personal way, well, you know the disciples didn't actually get it here either. Because verse 51 tells us that after this, they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. And so they're amazed. Like they understand something special is happening here, but, but they still don't get it fully. Well, when would they? Well, not until a little later where they would see the greatest revelation of God's glory. The clearest expression of this truth that God is great power and loving presence. See, they wouldn't get it until they saw their friend Jesus, the one with the, the Job 9 power to walk on top of the water, walk into the stormy waters of judgment for them when he went to the cross, where he experienced a, a greater pain, where he was tormented where he was straining unlike anyone else in history as he used his power to personally take on all our sins and the punishment we deserve because of them. That's what changed the disciples as the Holy Spirit gave them eyes to see. It's what drove them as they would go on to follow Jesus and serve Jesus for the rest of their lives through all kinds of other and, and many times worse trials, struggles, and hard times than what they're facing here. And this is what changes you and me too. Seeing the revelation of the glory of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ that we're getting glimpses of all throughout the Gospel of Mark and here in this story this morning. And so lastly, the application, how does Jesus invite us to respond to this? was fascinating that if you read this story in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew 14, he includes the details of what Peter did and how he reacted to this event. And I say it's fascinating because as we've talked about throughout this series, Mark is, is essentially Peter's gospel. 
He didn't write it, but Mark is writing down his story. Peter's the one telling Mark about what happened, what to include and what not to include. So it's fascinating that apparently Peter told Mark not to include the details about what happened to him. And, and we don't know why. Some, some scholars suggest it's Peter's humility that he didn't want, um, as he was telling this story, he didn't want the focus on him. He wanted it to only be about Jesus. We don't know. But I want to bring it in here as we end because it, it helps drive home what's so clearly, I think, the big takeaway for us. And so what does Peter do uh, as Matthew tells the story? Well, when Peter realizes it's Jesus and not a ghost walking to them and he's calmed down, he asks Jesus, hey, can I come out to you on the water? And Jesus tells him to come. And so Peter, by faith, steps out and begins to do it. He's doing what no one else in history has ever done except for Jesus. And so he's doing great, but he's doing great only as long as he's looking at Jesus. As long as he's focused on him, he's okay. But Matthew tells us he looks away from Jesus. He looks down, he looks over at the wind, he looks down at the waves, the rough conditions at the sea. And as soon as he does, he begins to sink. And so Jesus has to reach out and save him. Well, what's the point? Here's the application. Here's how Jesus invites you and me to respond this morning. And it's this, to stay focused on him. Keep our eyes focused on him. You and I have to look at Jesus and let him define reality for us. We've got to let him define for us what's true about God and who he is and what's true about our life. Like what's really true about it. We've got to stop looking at what's around us to define those things. Our circumstances, what our boss or what a coworker said about us, the tension in our marriage, our loneliness, anxiety, ways we've messed up big time. Those things are real and we've got to deal with them, but they're not ultimate reality. Jesus is. I've been thinking about this week, how for me, when, when I'm looking at all these other things, what happens is my world, it, it, it starts to feel so small. Like everything's closing in on me and I get afraid and I feel like I'm all by myself and it's all on me. And, and I live life with this like, at this frantic pace and in this frantic way. But when I look at Jesus, when I, in my time alone with him or in my community group or here in worship, I'm brought back to him. When I see his glory, when I see what he's done for me, how big he is and how much he loves me, I remember I'm okay. I'm not by myself. It's not all on me. And so you and I, we've got to stay focused on Jesus. We've got to stay focused on him. As we're making headway painfully as the wind and waves rage and roar, around us, instead of focusing on all that other stuff, we've, we've got to keep looking at him and letting him define the way we think about everything. And, you know, we may still struggle. We may not always believe it as, as much as we want. But as we do that, we can keep rowing. And at the end of the day, that's really all Jesus invites us to do. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for uh, the way that you have revealed yourself to us. Thank you for uh, the way you've done that, even in this story. 
And uh, we ask that by your spirit, you give us the ability um, to see the glory of who you are in such a way that it does uh, change us. Think about Paul um, talking about um, it's our beholding your glory that really transforms us from one degree of glory to another. And so um, that's my prayer for me and for us uh, this morning. Pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.